Welcome back, everybody. Eurodoll University. My name is Emil Kalinowski. I'm talking to Jeff Snyder by, what is this, fax machine, telex? Jeff, I was listening to podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts since, I don't know how old I was. Radio since age 15, talk shows, and then podcasts as soon as they became available. One of the best talk shows out there was the Art Bell Show, which was about the X-Files and aliens and the Chubacabra. And now they're replaying, they're replaying his old episodes because he passed away in 2015 or so. And as they're replaying it, you hear people saying, well, what's your fax number? Uh, <laughs> well, and he says, you know, you can fax it here, but uh, you know, I only take three pages. And if it's a cover sheet, I'm not going to take it. You know what I am using now? An email. You can email me too. That's <laughs> amazing. Late 90s. Fantastic. So we're talking by fax machine, ladies and gentlemen. And Jeff, I was reading an article from the Financial Times, and I just wanted to read it out to you. I want to throw some red meat to you and then just watch you react. And this, I find this entertaining. And according to our ratings, the audience also does. And we learn a lot. And we're going to talk about interest rates, real rates, inflation, employment, the Federal Reserve, and the economy. So jump in wherever you'd like. So here we go. It is February 6, 2022, Sunday, Financial Times. The article is titled, Bond Market Signals, Room for Fed to Raise Rates Without Stalling the Economy. Investors bet strength of U.S. recovery will outlast rapid policy tightening. Here we go. It's by Kate Dugold and Eric Platt. Quote, the U.S. government bond market is signaling that the Federal Reserve will be able to tame inflation in coming years without snuffing out growth in the world's biggest economy. Treasury yields jumped last week after a much stronger than expected U.S. jobs report. You can jump in here, Jeff, if you want to say anything about the U.S. jobs report, which was... No, no, I want to see where this goes because already I'm, I'm wondering what the hell they're talking about. Okay, okay. I have no idea. <laughs> Treasury yields jumped last week after a much stronger than expected U.S. jobs report as investors bet that strength in the labor market would give the Fed further impetus to tighten monetary policy as it sought to rein in the most intense consumer price growth in almost 40 years. Here's a good one. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so far so good, right? We start out pretty well. That's, that part is true. The bond market has said the Fed is going to use the labor market data. Whether it's good or bad, they're going to use that to justify the rate hikes. That has been consistent going back more than six months now. The short end of the yield curve has said the Fed is going to start hiking rates and they're probably going to do more than just one. So, so far so good. We're, we're doing good here. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wanted to get Jeff's full unvarnished opinion about what the labor market is looking like. He wrote three articles recently. I'm just going to name them because we're, we're not going to get to all of them. So I'm just going to name them and you can go to the Alhambra Investments blog and read through if you want. The first one was about jolts and it was more questions than clarity on labor inflation pressure as FOMC seeks justification for taper rate hikes. Now it's February 1st. And it's just the same story of that the openings are seem way out of kilter, right? And then two, in advance of payroll Friday, ADP payrolls go cold, the 2nd of February. And then I think everyone knows that the payroll report that came out is really hard to compare 
a discontinuity, you called it. It's hard to know what to make of it. It's an utter, it's a total mess. Both series were a total mess. So it's, it's difficult to make comparison. The household survey, you can't make any comparisons. It's a total discontinuity. And even the establishment survey, they applied ridiculous seasonal adjustment factors, which completely erased last year's trends, which whatever. Payrolls and population. What a mess. That's the title. 4th of February, 2022. Okay. Continuing on with the article. Despite the upbeat figures on the labor market, which pointed to rising wage pressure, expectations for future inflation barely budged. Very interesting. A treasury market measure known as break-evens indicated that inflation would recede to less than 3% in five years. Well, first of all, don't take tips break-evens literally. That's Mm. a mistake. We look at tips break-evens and relative changes. We don't look at them and say, oh, the market is expecting five-year average of 3%. That's an error to begin with. What what should we do then? We should, if their break-evens are rising, then we're saying inflation expectations market-based are rising. Are rising. Right. We don't know the exact number the market is expecting for the CPI average to be. We just know that the market's expecting more of an average. So you can't take these things literally. Same thing with euro dollar futures, as we've said before. You know, if you have a euro dollar future price of 99, that doesn't mean that the market is expecting exactly 1% for three-month LIBOR. There's a probability distribution centered on that price. So we don't want to take these things literally. But I think the point they're trying to make is that since October, this goes back to October, U.S. inflation expectations in the tips market, which are break-evens, called break-evens, have been declining, even as the CPI. Today is February 10th. We just got another CPI print that was 7.5% in the U.S., highest in 40 years. And yet inflation expectations in the tips market are declining somewhat. And we talked about before, it translates into cryptocurrencies somewhat, although cryptos have rebounded in February. Ever since late last year, inflation expectations in a broad survey of, of a bunch of things have said that inflation is expected to be less of an issue going forward. And it's still, just one last thing, in the tips market, it's still way upside down. And what I mean by that is the 10-year inflation break-even or expectation is significantly less than the five-year. So the market is expecting lower inflation overall since October, but in the future, a lot less inflation. So inflation or consumer price index increases are supposed to go down over time. That hasn't changed throughout the entire year. I think that Ms. Dugold and Mr. Platt watch the show or read your work because they think that's where they're heading. And they complain. Well, not complain, but they say, wow, inflation expectations aren't budging despite that it would mark a significant fall from the 7% rate recorded in December. And you just told us what January was. Longer term break-even rates suggest that markets are expecting the Fed to succeed in pushing inflation back towards its 2% target. I, I underlined that Damn. one, Jeff, for you. <laughs> no. I mean, you said this for our previous episode not that long ago where you have this idea that, okay, we're going to move forward in time. The CPIs are going to decelerate. Thank you, Jay Powell. Thank you for raising rates and rescuing us from inflation by slowing the economy. That's simply the orthodox interpretation, which holds that the central bank is at the control of everything when in fact it's really not. So are we really going to believe that a couple rate hikes is going to put the brakes on an inflationary environment, so-called, that's as bad as it's been since the 1970s? So, I mean, Paul Volcker, the myth is that Paul Volcker had to raise rates up into the double digits to get a handle on inflation back then. 
But now we're going to believe that a couple rate hikes from Jay Powell is enough to slow inflation down to relatively manageable levels. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Where we're going with this is that the bond market isn't suggesting the Fed's going to be successful. The bond market is, as we've said before, completely, utterly disagrees with what the Fed's rationale is behind the rate hikes to begin with. This goes way back before taper. It goes way back before rate hikes. The yield curve began to flatten and flatten noticeably around April, May, and June of last year. So way, way before any of this stuff really became too much of a, a talking point where yes, the CPIs accelerated into the end of the year, the bond market was already flattened. The yield curve was already flattening. So bringing that back to where they started their article, the short end of the yield curve, rates are rising, anticipating that Powell is going to start rate hiking rates. And really, we're going from zero to maybe a percent or maybe more. Not really a whole lot. The back end of the yield curve where growth and inflation expectations price everything. The market is saying, we're not really seeing what you think you're seeing, Mr. Powell. Yet another conundrum is uh, on the horizon here. Okay, yes, yes. And I think the, the yield curve hasn't uh, inflated at all. It keeps flattening. As of earlier this week, it was still getting lower and lower and lower. Maybe it's getting ridiculously flat. I mean, the space between the five-year and 10-year yesterday was 12. Wow, okay. The space between the seven-year and 10-year was two. I mean, could we see the seven-year, ten-year wow. invert? That would be absolutely wild. It'd be crazy. That's egg on the face of the central banker. It's just amazing. And it's not, you know, you're absolutely, what you said last time was absolutely correct. People are going to say that this is the Fed. The bond market is worried about the Fed. The Fed's going to be too successful in its campaign to stamp out inflation when that's just ridiculous. You know, going back to 2018, for example, the Fed didn't crash the economy with a Fed funds target of two and a half percent or a Fed funds rate of two and a half percent. Did two and a half percent interrupt the best booming economy ever? If that's the case, then it was never the best booming economy ever. It couldn't have been. So assigning cause to the Fed as cause to the effect of what's being priced in the yield curve as well as the tips market is getting so far ahead of ourselves. It's absurd and ridiculous, but that's what we're supposed to believe. The Fed is in control of all of these things. <laughs> You're going to love some of these quotes coming up. Okay. The rising oh, yeah. <laughs> yields coupled with steady inflation expectations have pushed returns bond investors can expect to earn after inflation is taken into account sharply higher since the end of last year. Yeah, but still negative. Sharply higher relative to the lowest yeah. rates ever doesn't really mean much as it's supposed to mean, right? That's where we talk about the three criteria for evaluating the yield curve, right? The first one is nominal level. If we go from a 10-year yield of five, 54 or 52 basis points in August of 2020 to today about 2% on the 10-year, that's a 150 basis point rise, which sounds absolutely substantial. And of course, if you're an investor in treasury along that way, it's a painful drop in prices. But historically speaking, 1.5% or 2% on the 10-year uh, treasury is closer to a record low or prior record low than anything like normal. So in the context of macroeconomic analysis, 2% is nothing. Yeah, let's see. Analysts say this increase in so-called real yields indicates traders are expecting the U.S. economy to continue expanding in the years to come, even as policymakers withdraw stimulus measures to slow intense price growth. And then they talk about how the 30-year just peaked its nose above the zero line for the first time since uh, June. Yeah, and I'd see, that's, I disagree with that too, because the real yields tend to move, especially in these times, with rate hikes. So real yields, because 
the way the tips market works, which is we start with the nominal treasury and subtract off average CPI estimates or expectations. The net result is, of course, that's inflation expectations as well as real yields. But if the front end of the yield curve is pricing a non-economic artificial factor like Fed rate hikes, then the entire frame of reference for the entire for the whole market changes. In one sense, that's the yield curve flattening. But the front end of the yield curve, say the five-year rate, which is being priced based on rate hikes, that isn't moving up because the economy is looking better. And therefore, if we're not seeing more inflation, the tips break-even rates is not, are not going to rise either. So a constant tip rate and then a five-year nominal treasury pricing rate hikes means that five-year real yields have to rise too. Not because the market thinks the economy is getting better, but because the market's frame of reference, which is now these rate hikes, has changed. The Fed is upending the frame of reference for the entire treasury market, and it's basically saying, yes, we're moving to price rate hikes, but we're disagreeing with the reasons behind them. The 30-year just peaked its nose above, above zero, but the 10 and 5 are still well below zero. Nevertheless, according to Mr. Robert Tipp, head of global bonds at PGIM Fixed Income, quote, the Fed's control over the economy has just increased. <laughs> <laughs> George <laughs> Greg, Gregory Whitney, portfolio manager at Double Line Capital, quote, real rates were just absurdly low compared to economic fundamentals. So it only makes sense that they should be rising. Unless that they're only rising because the Fed's hiking rates, regardless of economic yeah, fundamentals. That's the, I mean, that's, that's why that's really the equation here, right? That's why yeah. if the market is the market is telling you exactly that the flattening yield curve, the lack of inflation expectations and tips, they're saying that the, the Fed is hiking rates regardless of economic fundamentals that haven't really changed over the last year. The only thing that has changed is the Fed going to be hiking rates. That's the only thing. And of course, we're taught to believe that this is some massive, substantial, earth-shattering force when in fact it just it's a change in the, in the front end curve's frame of reference, which then leads to other changes around the rest of the curve and the rest of the treasury market, which are... And when you look at all those things, they're telling you the Fed is raising rates for the wrong reason. A couple of lines here about the, the jobs report. Friday's jobs report was just the latest in a series of indicators to illustrate this recovery. The closely watched U.S. payrolls report showed the economy added 467,000 jobs last month. Despite the recent rise in COVID cases, it also included a substantial surprise upwards revision in jobs figures for November and December and showed that wages had grown by more than expected. Yeah, the, and the only reason that the November-December jobs report were revised higher is because they revised lower by a hell of a lot more the uh, jobs numbers in the middle of last year. So the million-month payroll gain back in, I think it was July, just disappeared too. What the BLS did was flatten out the establishment survey so it doesn't have as much of a high in the middle of the year and as much of a low at the end of the year. So now it has a lower high but still a decelerating growth into the end of the year, just not as bad as it looked beforehand. So are these seasonal adjustment corrections, are they correct? Are we still seeing a slowing labor market? Well, the establishment survey is still decelerating and the household survey, we can't, just, we can't use it all because of the population factor and the, and the way the uh, 2020 census was included or the 2020 census held some surprises that created massive discontinuities across the the household survey. For the uh, masochistic audience members who want to unscramble that spaghetti bowl of the payroll report and the seasonal adjustments, 
They can do so again going to the February 4th post by Jeff Payrolls in Population. What a mess. A couple of quotes to end off this article, which I think one is, yeah, it's it. It's true. And then the second one seems to be a paradox or self-contradictory. Here we go. Chris McReynolds, head of U.S. inflation trading at Barclays, quote, yields on longer dated break-evens are very well contained. There's no thought of sustained levels of inflation. Right. Aha, uh-huh, right. I mean, the CPI is at 7.5%. So what is the market actually saying here? Is the market here saying the Fed is going to contain inflation or is the market saying that inflation really mm-hmm. is well, transitory? This, oh, perfect. Here we go, Jeff. Two sentences. One says up, the other one says down. But they're said by the same person. Here we go. Andy Brenner, head of international fixed income at Nat Alliance Securities, quote, I'm a believer that the Fed missed the whole inflation thing, that they spent too long insisting it was transitory. But that was the 2021 scenario. I do believe that inflation is going to subside. You see what I'm saying? You see? <laughs> Why are you guys saying it's transitory? No yes, sense. inflation is over. Maybe just... So they missed saying it was transitory because now we're seeing it's going to be That's transitory. how I interpreted it, but perhaps unfairly. <laughs> the only way to solve that riddle is if you actually believe a couple rate hikes are going to mm. are going to actually manage to control and contain 70s style inflation. But let's let's reiterate our position here. Yes. I'm going to use that term that I absolutely hate that you make me use. Inflation is always and ever everywhere a monetary phenomenon. This is not conjecture. This is established history. This is established economic law. So if it's actual monetary inflation, then it wouldn't be transitory. And that's the been the market stance all along, whether it's the yield curve, whether it's the tips market, real yields, all of it. Throughout the last more than year, the market has been absolutely, absolutely positive. What's driving consumer prices higher is not money. Therefore, it's not inflation. When you realize that fact, all of the rest of the stuff actually makes perfect sense, including the the CPIs at 7.5%. It's a classic supply shock case brought on by artificial interference as well as an inelastic supply situation. So you have a demand curve shift to the right. Inelastic supply, the only thing that can adjust using small e economics is the price of goods. But because this is not money, this is not real inflation, it's always going to be transitory because at some point, if it continues long enough, as it has already, it becomes a painful tax on especially the consumer economy. So the prices that are rising, especially gasoline and things like that, are actually harmful. And eventually what happens, the other side of transitory is we go into a downturn based on the fact that because there isn't money flowing through the economy, the economy has to adjust by the fact that it's being redistributed toward these price gains. And we're already seeing that in the services sector. We see it in the jobs market, despite the numbers last month. We're still millions of jobs less in uh, January 2022 than we had been in February 2020. So two years and millions of fewer jobs, as well as around five million jobs that never happened because of the two-year period. So there's a lot of things that would indicate that have nothing to do with the Fed, why the bond market is very skeptical about this inflation being inflation. And Jeff, listeners, they may be hearing when you say Milton Friedman's famous quote about money always, inflation always being a monetary phenomenon, and they may scoff at you, or they may portray you as being ideological or a zealot. And you believe that 
And you're not going to let go of that. Like we see in politics, you see conservatives or liberals, they never let go of their position, even if maybe sometimes it's better to go to the other political aisle and depending on the condition. And so I think the audience may be saying, well, we know that's not true, Jeff, and you're just being ideological because. But how do they know it's not true? That's my question. Because, well, this is where I'm going to step in. Uh, because, and the best example of this was when Eric Townsend had Stephanie Kelton on his show, Macro Voices, and she scoffed at the whole money aggregates create inflation because she said, look at M2 growth rates and inflation, and they're completely unrelated. And Jeff, you and I will agree right. they are unrelated. That doesn't mean money and inflation is unrelated. It's just yeah, M2 Bingo. is not Thank you, money. Jeff. M2 used to be money maybe in the 1950s before there was an M2. Thank you. But the monetary, our whole story here is monetary evolution that evolved beyond the M's into these mm. shadow money spaces. So if you're trying to connect inflation with M2, you're not going to be able to do it. And so you would say inflation can't be a monetary phenomenon because the CPI doesn't correlate to M2, in which we would say, yes. Why would you even think that was the case? What we're saying is that shadow money correlate is the cause of inflation. And by all the proxies that we have available, we talked about, you know, not just the bond market, but the BIS data on derivatives, for example, that gives us a window into what must be going on in the monetary system because of ledger money, balance sheet construction and things I'd love to talk about more at a different date. They tell us that there has been no money creation since around Bear Stearns failure in March of 2008. Therefore, we should never expect anything more than transitory changes in the CPI that have nothing to do with the monetary system. So, yes, if you're trying to correlate M2 with the CPI, you're not going to be able to do it. But we still say that inflation is a monetary phenomenon because we realize that global euro dollar shadow money is far, far more comprehensive than any M2 or M1 statistic or M3 for that matter. That's the reason why they gave up M3 in 2006 was because even the Fed realized that the monetary system was far more complex and far greater than it had the ability to track. So yes, inflation is a monetary phenomenon. That's not conjecture. When Milton Friedman had said it first in 1963, he wasn't spitballing. He had just written the monetary history. He had just undertaken an exhaustive examination of inflation and money for countries all over the world. It wasn't some sort of, hey, I have this weird idea that this is the case. It was pretty well established and it's pretty well accepted, even at central banks today that realize they don't do money. The famous quote from Alan Greenspan that we use all the time, the proliferation of products, the ability to, to base monetary policy on money is dubious. He said, inflation is always and everywhere a, phenomena, a monetary phenomenon, which is a problem for us because we don't do money. We can't define money. So that's you know, it's not M2. M2 is it's a subset of the monetary system. It's a domestic traditional depository only, and it leaves out all the rest of the monetary money everywhere else. So really, the, the article you just read is basically looking at a sort of a tunnel vision view of the system and thinking, well, it must be the Fed that's creating all these problems, when in reality, it's not the Fed. It's the rest of the monetary system that these people can't see or even know that they should see. And let's not forget that it wasn't just Friedman or Greenspan that came up with this is this idea as well, but it was Copernicus that prices and the supply of money have oh, yeah. something to do uh, with each other. And of course, he figured out that thing with the sun and the earth. I don't know what it was about, but he figured something out. <laughs> Jeff, thanks for reading this article with me. As always, it's it's a pleasure. It's it's fun to see what people are thinking. It, it, it's you know, it's a shame that 
like I said, the when we get out of this mess, is it's when people stop putting the Fed in the middle of everything, stop thinking central banks are omniscient and all powerful and start realizing what they actually do is try to manipulate psychology. And they do so through the mainstream press. That one thumbnail that David Parkins drew for us last year that absolutely perfectly sums everything up where the perception of the monetary toolkit, you have this this golden chest overflowing with cash and gold, when in reality, monetary policy is the empty toolbox filled with, you know, nothing more than the press pass and the, and the uh, financial press. I was thinking you were going to reference the one with Galileo and Mr. Ben Bernanke dressed up as the Pope, as Galileo's. That one works too. Right? I love it. Love it. I can't wait to see what uh, Parkins is going to draw up for this episode. Me too. We'll find out. Thank you. All right. Take care, Emil. 